calling all podcasters, musicians, vloggers, and reporters, and everyone else who wants crystal clear recording that's super portable. The Shure Motive family of microphones makes studio quality audio that's as simple as plug and play. Many of the world's top podcasters rely on Shure, and with a Motive line of iOS and USB microphones, portability is now your friend. Imagine being able to get great audio quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. Simply visit Shure.com slash Motive to start getting great audio for your content now. That's S-H-U-R-E dot com forward slash M-O-T-I-V. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. We want to wish you all a very happy new year, happy 2019. 2018 is officially behind us, and hope everyone had a good holiday season. Well, in terms of news for the Cubs, over the holiday break, the Cubs pretty much did nothing. So there's not a whole lot to talk about there, but we'll talk about some other things. We'll talk about going on to baseball, some new Cubs opinions we may have, and we're going to talk a little Wrigley Field too. So uh, stick around and join us for that. Adam, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. It's New Year, same me. I hear that, my friend. Happy 2019. So uh, let's just get right into it. Not a lot going on over the holidays, really in general, uh, around baseball. There have been some moves, but really the last big move was that big Reds-Dodgers trade. We didn't really talk much about that, but with that trade being done, I think it's at least fair to say that the Reds are, I don't think, a threat to win the division, not necessarily the playoffs, but they're going to be a very different team, and they're going to be much better, I think. What do you think? Yeah, they're they're... They made some strides even last year. They they improved a little bit. Uh, I, I'm with you. I still don't think they're really even very close to contending for uh, first place in the NL Central. I realistically, I think third is what they're gonna is the best they could do. I I just can't see Cincinnati finishing any higher than third place in the NL Central. But and even that would surprise me, honestly. I finishing ahead of uh, either the Brewers or Cardinals, assuming the Cubs win it again, which is definitely not uh, a lock. I guess they didn't win it last year. I forgot how they choked, but uh, it, it's an improved lineup. Uh, of course, you don't know what Matt Kemp you're going to get. I mean, Matt Kemp had kind of a resurgent year last year, uh, but before that, wasn't really anything too special. So, I mean, who knows which Matt Kemp they're going to get. And then Yasiel Puig, obviously, a uh, talented guy, but uh, he could be kind of a distraction sometimes too. So it'll be interesting to see if that is a factor in Cincinnati or not. But, yeah, overall, their, their lineup has improved. I'm sure Joey Votto is uh, happy to have uh, a little more help than he's used to having in that dumpster fire of a team, but uh, Cincinnati is not going to make the playoffs this next season. That's just not going to happen. Well, I think when you look at Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp, I see tons of potential there because I just think they're going to rake at Great American Ballpark. I think their home run numbers are going to skyrocket, especially Yasiel Puig. 
I think he's going to hit a lot of oppo bombs to that right field porch. That is one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in the majors. And you mentioned Matt Kemp. Very, very interesting case with him because remember in the first half last year, he was looking like the NL MVP. Then he kind of dropped off a little bit in the second half. But overall, he still hit 290, 338 on base, OPS of 818, 21 home runs, so uh, 85 RBIs. There were productive numbers there. And it's, it's just kind of funny because Matt Kemp was at like one time one of the most feared hitters in all of baseball. You remember when he finished second in the MVP voting behind Ryan Braun in 2011? I mean, that's when mm-hmm. he was hitting nearly 40 home runs, had an on-base in nearly 400. And then really ever since he left the Dodgers the first time, he was in San Diego, then he was in Atlanta. He was putting up not bad numbers, fairly productive numbers, but nothing really that great. But, you no. know, you bring him to Cincinnati – He's he was 33 last year. He's go he just turned 34. He's still got some in the tank, I think. I, I just think that you'll see some stat boosting from those two in that ballpark. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that that it's not a bad lineup. It really it's not terrible. No. Uh, as bad as the Reds have been the last uh, oh god, what seems like a decade. Uh, it's not a bad lineup that they've got. The real problem still with that team is their pitching because I, I'm not yeah. sure they had a single starter in that rotation finished with anything better than like a four and a half ERA around that area anyway. Yeah, Alex Wood is going to help out with that definitely, but you still that's right. Y- yeah, y- yeah, but you, you're still going to need a lot of pitching depth. And you look at their pitching last year, like you said. Looking at the rotation, they had Louis Castillo was their ace, and he's 25. He had a 4.30 ERA, a 4.32 FIP, a 1.22 WHIP. You saw him prove quite a bit in the second half. He had an 8.8 strikeouts per nine. But then after that, you had Sal Romano. He had a 5.31 ERA, a 1.4 WHIP. Matt Harvey was not good but he wasn't bad either he was pretty average but he was you know, serviceable. With the way, it's serviceable yeah I mean that's a good way to put it and I mean if you put serviceable in the Reds lineup it's it's gonna look good with the way their pitching's been the past few years uh Anthony DiScofani who looked like a promising figure a few years ago just meh and then uh no. Tyler mm, Maley yeah. not very good and then now he's gone well, he was Bailey. against the Cubs well, was it Mally? I mean, he just mowed down the Cubs the first. Do you remember that the first time oh, the I Cubs do. faced him? He just tore them to shreds. Yeah, they, they lost that game one nothing, right? If I remember correctly, yeah, yeah, something like that. And I mean, he was he was really good in the minors, I and mean, he he's supposed to have a, a decent MLB career. So it doesn't bother me too much. Uh, only because that that's the kind of pitcher the Cubs tend to drop the ball against. These guys yep. you've never heard of before, the Cubs just go in and K like 20 times. Oh, I know. That's so true. And, you know, he's still only 24, so he may have some promise in him still. It was it was really his oh, first yeah, full year. Good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he could, I mean, yeah, I, I, I give pitchers a pass in their rookie year almost every time. Uh, I mean, you really – with rookies, you have to be able to look past their their final stat line, the ERA, and and just focus on uh, whether there was actually some development there or not. And and really, just completing a season is an accomplishment in it 
in and of itself when you're a pitcher. I mean, that goes a long ways just to get the experience. So I think there there's some room for optimism for Reds fans with that guy. But still, overall, they just don't have enough pitching-wise to, to be the real deal, uh, to be actual competitors in what looks like one of the tougher divisions in the National League. Yeah, and there have been rumors that Corey Kluber was attached to them, in rumors, I guess, but I don't know if we're going to actually see that happen or not. And you were talking about that start that Maley had against the Cubs. Yeah, that was April 2nd. It was Tyler Chatwood versus Maley, and it was a one nothing loss. Six innings pitched, seven strikeouts, no runs given up, two walks. So, yeah, and uh, six, uh, 54 strikes on 86 pitches. He was dealing against the Cubs. And then later that season, he won 6.2 innings, only gave up one earned run, and that was on July 6th at Wrigley Field. So, yeah, he's done some pretty good things against the Cubs. We'll say that. But, yeah, it'll be an interesting ball club. Uh, the back end of their bullpen is actually pretty good. If you look at it last it's not year. Bad. Yeah. No, it's not. You look at their closer, Rossiel Iglesias, 238 ERA, 30 saves, 72 innings. And it's job oh, he's well good, done there. Yeah. And he, he's, he's got a good fastball. It, his name pops up, it seems like, just about every year in trade talks, and, and that never yeah. uh, never develops into anything. I'm not sure if that's a good thing for the Reds or not, because, I mean, it, at this point it kind of seems like uh, it, if they do get good, it'll be right around the time where he, he's not in his prime anymore. But we'll see. Right, let, let me ask you this. Hmm. Is the NL Central – set up to be the best division in baseball next year? I think he'd be the most competitive. I mean, when you think about it, the Cardinals are going to be up there now. They just got Paul Goldschmidt and Andrew Miller. The Cubs are going to be right up there. I think the Pirates are going to be competitive. Don't count them out yet. Do I think they're better than the Cubs or the Cardinals? No, but they're going to be up there because they got a pretty good pitching staff. Obviously, the yeah. Reds here are improved, and – the Brewers will still be in the mix. Do I think they're the team from last year? No, because I think while they have a lot of talented players, I saw 2018 as a lightning in a bottle season for the Brewers, but they will still be in contention and they will still be in that race. So I don't think you could look at many other divisions and say, wow, almost every team, if not every team, is going to be at least competitive or in the race like you can the NL Central. You'll have firepower in the AL East with the Yankees, and the Red Sox, but, I mean, I'm just talking across the board. See, here's here's where I'm at. I'm looking at all the divisions in baseball, and I, I, I honestly, I think the NL Central is the only one I see where there's three teams that could realistically win it. I, sure. I, I don't look at any of the rest of these divisions in baseball, and I, I don't see three teams that have a legitimate shot to, to get first place in their respective division. Maybe actually the NL East. I mean, I because I think the Nationals, even without Bryce Harper, are still going to be a good team. I think that they still have a lot of talent on that team. And honestly, I, I kind of think that the Phillies, even though they kind of sputtered out at the end, I think they overachieved for a lot of the year. I think the Braves played a lot better than maybe what they were capable of. I could see regression from both of those teams. Uh, so, I honestly, I think it's the NL Central. I mean, I look at the West, and maybe the Rockies could pull it off, but the Diamondbacks aren't going to be 
anything special. The Giants are just looking like they're going to be terrible. Um, they haven't maybe, done really anything. No, nothing at all. I thought it was hilarious that uh, Marcus Stroman, I don't know if you saw his tweet or not, about the American League East. And he basically said you got to watch out for for every team in that division as if the Tampa Bay Rays and Baltimore Orioles are actually some sort of threat in the American League East. Like, he yeah. said something like you can never count out the Orioles. And it's like, yeah, actually, you probably can almost every time, and it's probably a safe bet. But I think yeah. the Tampa Bay Rays way overachieved last year, too. I mean, there's there's no way they're going to win 90 games next year. I just don't see it. I couldn't believe they won 90 games last year. Nobody saw that coming. Honestly, no. before the season started, I thought Tampa Bay was potentially worse than the Marlins. Oh, yeah. I I I remember talking about that with you, and I completely agreed. But it, they did it quietly, too. It was really quietly the way they won 90 games. I mean, I remember just looking at the standings uh, late in the season and going, what? They, they've won how many games? But there's there's no way they can repeat that with the, the pieces they have. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to get attention when you're playing in the same division as the Yankees and the Red Sox. And what did you see uh did you see Tommy Pham's comments recently on the Rays? No, I didn't. Oh yeah, he he said something about uh how it's it's disappointing to go from one team that has a tremendous fan base to a team with almost no fan base at all. He said that pretty much word for word and that uh if Tampa Bay actually wants to have some sort of bright future in that organization, then they're going to have to do something drastic, which I'm sure he's hinting at relocating. But Yeah, that's that's interesting. I did not hear those comments. The only thing that was really talked about with the Tampa Bay Rays was Blake Snell. And even that was forgotten by a lot of people. I mean, this guy yeah. who won the Cy Young last year with an 189 ERA – was barely talked about. Yeah, that's one of the most dominant under-the-radar seasons ever, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you had 11 strikeouts per nine, hits per nine under six, a whip under one, a fifth under three, in the American League, no less, in 180.2 innings. Pretty impressive. Seriously. You know, I just... It's weird to me how many teams I think overachieved last year. I I, I think the Oakland A's are another one. I, there's there's no way the Oakland A's are going to come even close to winning 97 games next year. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, that was another team that a lot of people didn't think was going to be even close. 97 wins. That's that's just the same amount of wins the Cubs had in 2015, and they were a powerhouse. Yeah. Would 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 you you would have told me I was insane if before the season I told you the A's were going to win more games than the Cubs? Well, I mean you're insane anyways, but yes, I definitely would have told you you were insane. And the, the thing is, they got great performances from Edwin Jackson, Trevor Cahill, who I always liked, uh, Sean Manaya, Daniel Megden, who was you know not great, but he was still better than a lot of other pitchers on a lot of other teams. And he has a phenomenal mustache. I just have to mention that. Yeah, He does. He's only 25, too, so I think he showed a little bit of promise. Even if the overall numbers aren't spectacular, 
405 ERA, uh, but 1.115 whip. You know, there, there's maybe some promise in a guy like that. And I know Trevor Cahill is now gone from there. But Edwin Jackson, a 333 ERA, you remember what he was like on the oh, Cubs. Yeah. It was a disaster. It was a train wreck. Yeah, I was happy for him. I was really happy to see that he that he pulled together a really good season because he was long overdue for that. Never really had the career he was supposed to have. And he's an easy uh, guy yeah, to root for. Very, very classy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good guy. I, I, I felt really bad that things didn't work out with him in Chicago, but you know that's the way it goes in this business. That happens. Uh, but yeah, memorable season for the A's. If I'm not mistaken, Sean Manaya had the first no hitter of the season. I think you're right. I think you're yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, and and he's uh, still a fairly young guy too. So I mean, there's. There's reason to believe the A's could could scratch out another season, but they're not going to get close to 100 again. No, I don't think so either. And Edwin Jackson, just quickly going back to him, he's played with 13 different teams in his career. He made his debut in 2003 at the age of 19. When you're making your debut at 19, you're probably pretty highly touted. He was drafted in the sixth round, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, scouts were looking at him in the minors and, you know, obviously they saw something if he came up that early. He started to really kind of find his groove in Detroit. He was an all-star in 2009. He's had some good seasons, and, you know, things just kind of fell apart. Yeah. Really kind of after uh, he left St. Louis. Yeah, he he never turned into the star that people thought he was going to be. But you know what? To be 35 years old and still be in the league – is that's impressive. I mean, that's that's beating the odds already because that's way longer than, than the average MLB player lasts in this league. So, I mean, even if it wasn't uh, the career we thought and hoped he would have, it's still been a long career, and that's that that's something to be proud of. So, Absolutely. And here's another crazy thing. He's been with six teams since he left the Cubs in 2015. It's easy to forget that, he was technically on that 2015 team. He only pitched in 31 innings, but he had a 3.19 ERA. It was coming off those two years, his first two years as a Cub, not good at all in 2013. In 2014, that was when he had the 6.33 ERA, and that was really tough to watch. But you know what? I hope he can have another solid season next year wherever he plays because I don't know what his contract is like. I don't think it's anything big, but – you know, I, I hope he can go as long as he can and at least find, you know, a, a solid groove here because, like I said, he's easy to root for. Yeah, I, I wish him nothing but the best. Uh, I don't particularly want him to be a Cub again, but I would like to see him succeed anywhere else. Absolutely. Now, in terms of former Cubs in that A's team, you know, Brett Anderson was on that team. And he's another Cub yeah. that you remember, oh, yeah, he was a thing just in 2017. Yeah, that's that's another one where I'm, I'm not uh, not hoping for a reunion. I, that was a train wreck. Man, I, <laughs> that that's back nightmare memories for me. I was – they really uh, – found a diamond in the rough when they first got him, but where was I wrong? Yeah, 22 innings, six starts, 818 ERA with the Cubs, a whip of over two. That's uh, that's not good. 
That's that's bad. That's rough there. Um, yeah. Yeah, no I, I was with you. I ask. thought maybe they did find a diamond in the rough because back in 2015, when he was pitching with the Dodgers, he had a 3.69 ERA in 31 innings. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, I think uh, 291 the year before with Colorado. Not not a whole lot of innings, but still, you know. It, it looked like if they, if they could get him back to full health that they they had something good going there, but uh, apparently not. Nope. Nope, not at all. Anyway, uh, so yeah, there, you're, you're kind of right. There's been a lot of teams last year where you figure, them? Really? And obviously that's going to happen every year. You're going to see teams that achieved a lot last year slip down a little bit, and then you're going to see some teams rise up this coming year. There's plenty of different candidates for those. And again, some of those candidates could be right here in the NL Central. We talked about the Reds. I will bring up the Pirates again. I do think the Pirates are better than what they show. And I think that Chris Archer, while I think he's not as good as people say he is, he can still be a solid guy for you, you know, in the next how many years he has on his deal, he's not going to be terrible. Yeah, that's – boy, that's a real – that's a shining endorsement. He's not going to be terrible. Chris Archer is – I like the guy. I'll just say – I'll get that out of the way right now. I like Chris Archer, but the Rays made a huge mistake not trading him any of the past few years because Chris Archer is one of the most overrated pitchers in baseball. I mean, it's ridiculous. This guy – this guy has never – ever had a dominant season never but he's always touted as if he's could be the ace of your team and I don't see him as being any better than a two or a three on any team and I, on some teams he, he definitely wouldn't be any better than a three but he was talked about as if you could get top tier prospect calls for him and I they've made a huge mistake not doing that because now I think they're stuck with a guy who's getting a little bit older going to be exiting his prime and I don't think he's good for anything better than like a 380 ERA at best so there's my Chris Archer rant yeah I mean I agree he's been overrated the past few years I definitely agree he strikes out a lot of guys but he still you know has an ERA of four or above he's that guy that either strikes you out or you, you tee off him it's one yeah. or the other. And, and, because the strikeout yeah, and numbers no, are always good, but the ERA numbers and are not always good, and the whip numbers are not always good. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll take a pass on that. I, who cares how many strikeouts he's getting if he's given up a whole bunch of runs, you know? What, what does it matter? The strikeouts are, that don't matter so much to me if you're, if you're giving up runs left and right. Look, he hasn't had an ERA under four since 2015. And that was by far his best year because the 323 yeah. ERA and 34 starts, he had a FIP of under three, uh, a whip of under 1.2, and a strikeouts per nine of 10.7. That's when he was rated correctly. And then since yeah. then, it hasn't been as good. Not bad, yeah. but not as good. And I, I just don't think that they got nearly as much for him as they could have if they'd have traded him sooner. Yeah, well... It's always been an interesting thing to see where he's gone because he has been like the number one, oh, he's in the rumors, yada, yada, and the the rumor sphere, as you call it, and then he finally got traded. You thought he was going to be trading 15, 16, 17, didn't happen. 
finally happened in 18, so you're probably not going to see that again because I think the Pirates fully intend to keep him no matter what until the end of his deal. I at least that's what I well, believe. Well, they should. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not sitting here trying to say he's a bad pitcher because he's not he's not a bad pitcher. He's a good pitcher. He's just overrated, I think. Yeah. And and he does make he does make Pittsburgh's rotation better. So they 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 absolutely should keep him. Uh, I think there's a really good chance the Pirates are going to be better than they were last year. Yeah, you got Jameson Tyone, Trevor Williams. Now you have Chris Archer in that mix. Uh, you got Chad Cool, Joe Musgrove, Nick Kingham. These are all guys. Some of the stats look good, some not. I mean, Trevor Williams and Jameson Tyone looked great last year. Cool and Kingham, not as much, but they're all like 26 and younger. So they all have pretty high ceilings. At least Tyone and Williams seem like a lock to me. They won't have Ivan Nova anymore, thank God. He was a Cub killer. But I think overall you're going to have a pretty dang good pitching staff there. And then last year, don't forget, Felipe Vasquez and uh, Richard Rodriguez, Edgar Santana, uh, Kyle Crick. That was a good bullpen. So their pitching is, I think, going to take them places. Yeah, I I agree with that. They've got an intriguing team. Uh, I think – I think you're right. I think their ceiling is higher than a lot of people give them credit for. I, I, I think they could honestly be a 90-win team. Now, I don't think that'll be enough to win the NL Central in 2019, but that could be enough to squeak out a wild card. The Pirates, are they're, they're not a bad team. No, they're not. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a great, great battle next year in the NL Central. Just fierce back and forth. And you know what? As a Cubs fan, I say, thank goodness they won the World Series when they did because that was far and away their best time to do it. They ran away with the division like nobody's business. They won with, like, what, a 17-game lead or something like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a huge margin. They took the lead early in the season, and they never even remotely looked back. They never relinquished a lead of, like, over eight games past April, I think. I mean, it was it was absolute domination. So be thankful that the Cubs took advantage of the year they were far and away the best team and won it all. Because if they didn't, then that long-awaited World Series would look even more difficult now. Yeah, I'm I'm both thankful for it and annoyed, too, because it's set this bar for so many unrealistic fans that that's the kind of thing they should be doing every single year now win the NL Central by 20 games and it it just it's ridiculous it there's too many people who have a hard time understanding that that's the kind of season you have once in a generation that's not that's not something you can expect it's, it can't be the norm as much as we'd all love to see them uh win the division by 17 games every single year it's just not going to happen and honestly, I would rather have it this way. It's more fun to watch when the division is competitive, when, when things are interesting uh, in September. Yeah, I mean, going forward, having tasted a World Series, it's definitely interesting. I'm glad it did happen the way it did in 2016 because we were looking for our first World Series championship. The playoffs were going to be a long road. It was kind of nice to just take care of a division title pretty easily. But, yeah, you're definitely right. You're not going to see that kind of stuff very often. Take away teams that win all the time, like the Yankees or the Red Sox, and you look at a lot of championship seasons for teams like the Cubs or, say, I don't know, the Royals. 
just look at a bunch of other teams that have won the World Series. A, it's not easy to do. B, a lot of times things got to go just particularly right. And right. you know what? It, it Skill wins you at the end of the day, but you also need a little bit of that lightning in a bottle. And the Cubs got that lightning in a bottle that season. They bulldozed the competition in the regular season and were able to grind it out and get that win. And they needed some breaks and they got some breaks. So that's yeah. just, it's not going to happen every year in a game where there's so much chance at play. You're going to get that chance every now and then, but it's not going to happen over and over like that. Right. And, and to be honest, there, there were too many things that happened in 2018 that were just out of their control. I mean, you Darvish being the big one, uh, Brandon Morrow, Chris Bryant, those are things you you can't count on, you don't yeah. expect, you can't really do anything about. Uh, the power numbers across the board, that's a different story. That's, you know, we'll, we'll only ever be able to speculate as to why that happened. Uh, but but having no you Darvish all season and then losing your best reliever by far uh, in the most important point of the season and then not having your superstar at full health. I mean, those, it's impressive the Cubs won as many games as they did despite all those things. Absolutely. And you look at the Brewers. You can't take away anything from the Brewers, but they had that same lightning in a bottle magic down the end of the season. And again, it's not just the 2018 Brewers. You look at so many other teams, that happens to them. The 05 White Sox, they had a lot of lightning in the bottle in them. They had four starting pitchers healthy, and they were able to pitch like no tomorrow and win a World Series. The Cubs, you want to look at some luck the Cubs had. Outside of the Kyle Schwarber injury, they were healthy. Nobody got hurt. And a lot of people put up some you know, career statistics pitching-wise. You had a historically good defense. And you can still be a great team and win another World Series, but the Cubs are probably never going to have a dominating season like that, at least in this generation again. That was a once-in-a-lifetime no. thing, or at least once in a generation. You, I mean, you can have it again, but it's not going to happen every year. No, and even if everything goes right for the Cubs, even if everybody's healthy, there's no injury concerns, you Darvish goes all season, if everyone plays up to their potential, the reality still is that the rest of the, the Central has closed the gap as far as talent goes. They're, they, they're, all those teams are just better than they were in 2016. Yep. Exactly, and you look at 2016, and some people try to be like, oh, they just won a bad division, yada, yada. Well, they still won the World Series. Yes, the division was not very good la uh, that year. The Cubs were far and away better than any other team in that division. I mean, look, the Brewers were still really bad. The Reds were really bad. The Cardinals were falling from grace. They're going to be coming back up again, but, you know, the Mike Matheny days when they were good were coming to an end. It pretty much was killed in the division series the year before. And then... You had the Pirates, who were really disappointing that year. I mean, even if those teams were a little bit better, the Cubs were still far and away the better team. But now, like you said, the gap is closed. Things are going to be a little more difficult. But you know what? If the Cubs want to go and show they're the best team, then they just got to go out and beat those teams. That's all you can say. And they should. I mean, it's realistic to expect big bounce-back years from a lot of guys. Uh, particularly Wilson Contreras. At least I hope so. Yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. I was I was pretty 
underwhelmed with his season as a whole. I'm willing to admit that, or at least accept that part of that might have been due to fatigue. I think that there, there's a chance maybe that they uh, slightly overworked him. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah, I think it's definitely a factor. I think the Chili Davis thing was also a factor. There were times where I saw him bat, and he just didn't look right. Not from, like, a mechanical standpoint, but, like, if he was kind of achy or hurting. And, I mean, he's started so many games behind the plate, and he's been in so many situations. I think fatigue definitely is a reasonable factor there. Yeah, it, 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 you bring up Chile, it'll be interesting to see if the power numbers can can bump back up a little bit because it, 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 I like the guy and I wish it would have worked out, but it just can't be a coincidence that everybody lost power. And if you look at the Red Sox too, I mean, they, they turned into home run champions as soon as he left. Well, just look at the year before. The Cubs were kings of home runs in 2017. Mm-hmm. You had so many guys with 30 or more home runs. You had Rizzo, you had Hap, you had Schwarber. You had a lot of guys that were just knocking it out of the park. And then Javi was the only one that improved in the home run department, but Javi had a a fantastic year. And I don't think a hitting coach is going to really instruct Javi all that much. He's going to go up there and swing like crazy no matter what. Yeah, that had way more to do with Javi than it did with anybody else that was coaching him, I think. Because if you're going to if you're gonna give Chile credit for Javi's breakout year, then you also have to blame him for everybody else's woes. So I, I, think, I think it was just a breakout year for Javi, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, um, I agree. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that the power numbers will need to come back up for the Cubs because – Really, that's their game. I, I think they had to get rid of Chili Davis because the Cubs, to be honest, they're not a great run-producing team. They kind of rely on on hitting home runs a lot throughout the season, and so if they if they're hitting less of those, then that's obviously that's a huge problem for them. The idea to bring in Chili Davis before 2018 was to fix the problem that a lot of people saw: too many strikeouts. They struck out a right. lot. They hit a lot of home runs. But I think you can just look and say the Cubs and this day and age of baseball lives and dies by home runs and strikeouts. That's just the name yes. of the game now. If this yeah, was and, and, a long time ago, it would be different. It, yeah, and it, it can bother you that they rely so heavily on the home run. But And, and I, re, I like that they, that they tried to fix that. Uh, but, but I think that in, in trying to solve one problem, they created another one. Exactly. I mean, you got to kind of get with the times. It's power pitching, power hitting. You're seeing guys throw harder. You're seeing guys swing harder. You're seeing balls go further as a result of that. And you're also seeing flailing bats as a result of that. That's just the name of the game today. It's not right. a small and, ball and, game anymore. Yeah, and you're you're at a point with this Cubs lineup where they're not all rookies anymore. They're not all kids. Right anymore. So we're we're kind of past the point of of speculating on whether we can develop them into whatever we want and mold them into into something different. At this point, they are what they are and you need to play to their strengths. Absolutely. I agree. We'll uh kind of see how it progresses. We have 10 more minutes in the show. I wanted to kind of shift our focus over to Wrigley Field itself. I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. It's another offseason where Wrigley Field is going through another major set of renovations. Right now, most of the field is covered in tarp, uh, most of the grandstand. Uh, 
The guys over at SB Nation, Bleed Cubby Blue, they do a lot of weekly updates on the renovations. They post photos. They kind of describe what's going on. Uh, a number of their guys go over and they take pictures, and then they kind of just put it all together in these articles. And they're really well done. I really do like uh, reading these articles because they kind of go into detail about what's going on. But, yeah, I mean, right now they're working on the upper deck, and they've pretty much torn out all of the – I don't know what you call those. You know those tunnels that are on top of the lower deck where you go to the upper deck that you could see huh. on the roof? Yeah. Those are gone. I'm not really sure what the name for that is either. Well, th- yeah, yeah, I, I guess mean, it doesn't matter now. But you know what I'm talking about. Um, uh-huh. One thing that they also did, this is kind of historical, is they tore out the visitor's clubhouse. And the Visitor's Clubhouse had been there. That same room had been there since 1914 when they first built the park. There were a lot of famous athletes, football and baseball, that changed in that locker room. But they had to build a new, bigger, more luxurious Visitor's Clubhouse. So you kind of had to tear it out. But it was kind of a piece of history saying goodbye. And you look at the past few years of what's been done, and you study the history of Wrigley Field, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge Wrigley Field history nut. The truth of the matter is there's really not much left that you could say this is original from 1914. There really isn't. Mm. No. Do you do you think that's a good thing? Well, let me frame that differently. Do you want Wrigley Field to look and feel like a modern ballpark? Well, I I think there were certain things that needed to be done. You need a video board. I I don't care what people say. It's the 21st century. You need video replay boards. You need that kind of stuff. And I think it enhances the ballpark. I I don't know. Don't don't you think? Don't you think it 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 kind of took something away from what made Wrigley Field special? As sort of a shrine to baseball. I think that. In adding a video board, something is also lost there, too. Some of the allure of Wrigley Field. I mean, the only thing that I could see maybe being lost is the view of, like, the houses across the street. But every time I've gone to a game and those video boards have been there, it's done nothing but enhance the experience to me. They show old highlights. They show old clips. They do kind of fun things around the ballpark and show them on those boards. Uh I think the introductions on the boards are pretty cool. I thought it would bother me at first, and it would take away from me looking at center field. But you know what? If I want to look at center field and look at the old scoreboard, all the scores there, I still do it. It doesn't take away anything for me. See, I, I don't know. I just If I'm at Wrigley Field watching a ball game, I, I don't want it to feel like a, a new age modern ballpark. I, I, I've always thought that part of the appeal of Wrigley Field is that you feel like you're a part of baseball history in that moment. And if you if you take away that aesthetic, I think that there there is something lost there. I mean, obviously that's the direction they're heading in now, though. So do you think that, that they reach a point where you have to say enough is enough uh, before it's just not really even Wrigley Field anymore? I mean, I, it feels like they're going in a direction where the only thing that left that will feel original about Wrigley Field is just the name. Well, I mean, if you sit in the ballpark, you still get that old-time feeling, uh, just, you know, in my experience. The thing is, 
as much as I love preservation of history, because really the only thing left from the original Wrigley Field that was built in 1914 were sections of the lower deck, the outer walls. None of the interior concrete is original. None of the interior concourse is original. Obviously, the upper deck was built um, in the 20s. Nothing in the outfield is original. You have a lot of the famous features still there. They can't get rid of the marquee. They can't get rid of the ivy walls. They can't get rid of the scoreboard. I mean, here's the thing. If you didn't replace that stuff, it was eventually going to crumble and fall apart. So as much as I hate to see some historical pieces of the actual stadium go away, you either replace them or the stadium literally collapses on you. They, right. I mean, they had well, next catching concrete a few years ago. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that they should never do any sort of maintenance to the ballpark ever, but I, I do think there are ways to, uh, to, to revamp the structure while staying true to the aesthetic that, that makes Wrigley Field so charming. I think there's ways to improve things without making it look and seem like a completely different ballpark than it was even 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I if I when I've been in the grandstands, I still get that feeling that it's the same ballpark I do. Uh I mean, there are obviously certain areas that are completely revamped. Now, personally, I don't mind it, but I I don't really think I need all those interior clubs, you know, those clubs that are pretty exclusive that I'll yeah. never be able to afford. I mean, I don't really need that stuff. I think the uh, park at Wrigley and that whole plaza outside is one of the best ads that they've ever made. I think it's awesome. I think they needed something like that. That doesn't take away anything from the ballpark. Uh, no. I think they did a nice job of redoing the lower bowl. You know, they added more comfortable seats. Uh, they kind of made the walkways clearer and more modern. So, you know, I think that's good. Yeah, I mean, anything outside the park, I'm, I'm all for. Um, I think different generations will say different things because they 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 experienced it in a different way, and uh, there's something to be said for nostalgia. And you know, you can't tell older generations how to feel about that. But uh, I I've always just said tread lightly with with renovations to Wrigley Field because I I just worry that at some point they'll go so far that it just doesn't feel like Wrigley Field anymore. But I hope we never see that day. And I don't think we will. And if an older generation asked me my opinion, I would basically say this. I'm as much of a sentimentalist as the next guy. But I also do understand when you have to make some changes just for the safety of the people inside the park. And, I mean, look, I, I took a tour of Wrigley Field in 2011 before all these renovations happened. And I got to admit, there were times where I looked at the facilities, I looked at some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and I said, wow, this is kind of crappy. It's old, it's moldy, it's bad-looking, it's just in in dire need of updates. Yeah. So I think that is important. Yeah, I I just think you know people people say oh they'll they'll never get rid of the marquee they'll never get rid of the ivy I wouldn't be so sure well, I think can't. that it would be I think they, they legally be, can't I think it could be tempting for them at some point to nah. do something about the ivy think about all the money they could make if they slapped a bunch of logos across that wall well they can't they legally can't do that it's landmark status. 
okay, does how does that expire at some point? No, landmark's a landmark. You would have to get it overturned. That would be really hard to overturn, I would think. I wouldn't so, put it yeah, past our crappy generation to attempt to do that. Nah, I, I, I'm not too worried. I mean, there already kind of are ads on the doors, but those don't really bother me. On the doors, me. yeah. Right. So I, I mean, you could do something I, like I the Giants, they, though, and have every square inch be a, some sort of sponsor. Yeah, I, that's I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. There, there are certain things you literally cannot touch, or you can obviously fix them, but you can't like alter it too much. Well, I hope they never do. I, I, I still, I'm still worried about it. I'm, I'm worried that they'll go too far. Well, you know, this is another great conversation we should have with more of the guys at Cubby's Crib, and I'd love to keep talking about it, but we are out of time, and I think the show's gone pretty fast. I was kind of worried. We didn't have much to talk about, but I thought we had some pretty good conversations today. Yeah, yeah, it was a good chat. We're kind of in a uh, a lull this uh, this part of the season. There's There's not really a whole lot going on in the league, not a lot to talk about. The big guys haven't picked a team yet, so yeah, all in all, we'd we covered a lot of ground. I'm impressed. Absolutely. So hopefully next time we'll have some more news to talk about, maybe some more Wrigley Field debates because that's always fun. Until next time, he's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night. We'll see you next week.